American writer and naturalist Henry David Thoreau moved to the woods in 1848 for two years, two months, and two days to answer the call of what he referred to as living deliberately. He explained his quest for self-reliance, seclusion, and simplicity in his most famous piece of literature, Walden, where he moves into a tiny cabin in the woods to reduce life to the nitty-gritty. In this seclusion, Thoreau was able to immerse himself in nature and also to focus on his own personal and spiritual growth. In his own words, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. The book's namesake, Walden, is derived from the name of the pond, of course, at the shore of which Thoreau built a tiny log cabin by hand. It measured 10 feet by 15 feet and was simply furnished with a bed, nightstand and lamp, fireplace, table, and three chairs. One chair for solitude, two for friendship, and three for society. Though his cabin was compact, Thoreau had 14 acres of land, including fields of beans, peas, potatoes, corn, and turnips. It was through the farming of these fields, which his neighbors had deemed useless, that he lived almost entirely off the land. That from escapebrooklyn.com. What's significant for us today is Thoreau's three chairs, one for solitude, two for friendship, and three for society. One misperception that has persisted is that Thoreau was a hermit who cared little for others. According to Thoreau scholar Elizabeth Witherall, actually he was an active person in circulating petitions for neighbors in need. He was attentive to what was going on in the community. He was involved in the Underground Railroad. Dr. Witherall reminds us of Thoreau's dedication to emerging from his cabin to walk. I think I cannot perceive my health and spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least, and it is commonly more than that, sauntering in the woods and over hills and fields, absolutely free from all worldly engagements. And reflecting on this deliberate choice, Thoreau suggests in doing so, he is, quote, practicing the art of life. He writes, the scenery, when it is truly seen, reacts on the life of the seer. How to live? That is his question. That from the essay, Not Exactly a Hermit, Henry David Thoreau, by Danny Heitman in Humanities. And it is against that backdrop that we meet Cindy Ross from Schuylkill County, who is a writer, artist, and educator who practices in Thoreau's phrase, the art of life, and who has taken as her work the exploration of that fundamental question, how to live. Though the answers she's been coming to might resonate with Henry David Thoreau, they are very much authentically her own. So while she and her husband, Todd Gladfelter, built by hand a log cabin in the woods by a river, it was not to be an experiment, not to be temporary. In some measure, the creating of a home like that actually grew out of the convictions they developed as they hiked trails, hundreds and hundreds of miles of trails around the country and the world, that it is important for us to recognize our belonging in the world, 
and to establish a place to go forth from. And as we look to chairs two and three of Thoreau, friendship and society, as we look more deeply, we see a meaning in the metaphor that suggests that the truly human relationship to the place we call home is not just the going forth, but the welcoming in, the ages-old notion of hospitality. Welcoming in is a neighborly thing to do, but it's also a fulfillment of who we are as humans, inhabiting the world together as our home. So when we read the recent book by Cindy Ross, The Log Cabin Years, How One Couple Built a Home from Scratch and Created a Life, we recognize the act of constructing a place to live takes on a much larger meaning for them and for us. And the companion piece, as we've just suggested, is revealed in Cindy's most recent book, Walking Toward Peace, Veterans Healing on America's Trails, illustrated by her son, Bryce Gladfelter. We had a chance to speak by phone with Cindy and Bryce about the literal and metaphorical meaning, the rich explorations in their lives. Bryce and his sister Sierra spent their summers, their formative years of their lives, out on the Connell Divide Trail, walking and riding their llamas across the Rockies for 3,000 miles. And so Bryce was started when he was one uh, on his father's backpack and finished the trail when we were when he was six. And those years are so important for your your growth and who you will become as an adult. And it was a, a fabulous arena to explore life and grow and learn out in the natural world with all your senses stimulated. But the kids would be were able to walk when they wanted to and then they could hop up on their llamas and ride when they got fatigued. And being out in that natural world for, for that that many months and that, that many years, they really grew creatively because all their senses were stimulated. And we always said that we hoped that the children would grow up to either make the world a better place or a more beautiful place. And, and that's, that's what living in the natural world gifted to them and, and the freedom to have their own business and, and create and have their art and their writing uh, be their their livelihood too, and that's what happened to my son Bryce. He he turned into a fabulous illustrator, and and now we work together on books. Bryce, tell us about what you remember. You described it so well when we spoke the last time. You were encouraged by mom to journal, but also you were already taking to sketching and so forth. Right. You know, I don't remember too much from those first five, six years of my life. And it's hard to differentiate what I've seen in the slides versus what are those sensory impressions that I've had. But I do still have those moments and those memories of looking out across the ridge lines or, or sleeping in an aspen forest or waking up and picking huckleberries in the morning. Those memories are still with me. And I do remember the feelings associated with them. And one was obviously because there was no social, there was nothing to distract my attention except everything around me, that it was a free reign with creativity. So I would always be walking, and as I was walking, I'd be coming up with bizarre stories based on the things around me and the geological rock formations, or I would be um, just finding things around me. Like one memory, it sounds kind of morbid, but I discovered all these bones of a cow behind some sagebrush. I think we were hiking through New Mexico or something. And I was so excited and ecstatic to see this that I spent hours 
drawing faces and designs on these bones and then parading them around in a puppet show for my family. And in retrospect, it sounds like some morbid Tim Burton origin story, but that was just a moment of many on the trail and how my creativity would be inspired by everything around me. Mom just reminded us that you have been able to make your drawing, your graphic design, your livelihood. How did it come from sketching faces on cow bones to doing the work that you're doing now? I think it was a natural process, and my parents always supported and helped guide me into the things that my passion. So growing up, um, even though I wasn't in public school, I was attending art classes in different cities nearby, and I was getting mentored by family friends who had been in the art field their entire life. So I was always surrounded in art or artistic people. So inevitably, that led me to art school in Philadelphia. And from there, to become first a beer label illustrator, then a medical illustrator, now currently kind of switching gears into fashion illustrations. So it, it taught me that art is inseparable from life, and it doesn't need to feel like a job. And most days it doesn't feel like a job. It just feels like life. And I'll look at my calendar and be like, well, I spent, only spent two hours today on work. And it's like, no, like work is life. That's why it just seems like that. And that's what you care so much about. And that's always come through when we talk with you, Cindy, that notion that there isn't a separation. It's a way of seeing and a way of being. Right. You know, it's funny. We, we laugh. I'm 65. My husband's 60 now. And it's almost all of our friends are retired. And we say, you know, with all this talk about, about retirement, we plan on working until, until lunchtime, the afternoon of our, of our funeral. You know, our work is our life. And we can't separate it because if we had to stop working, we would feel like we had stopped living, <laughs> which is a great gift. Cindy, how then does what you've told us about going up and down the trails in the summer, how does that relate to the story in terms of your vision of living to what you tell us in this new book, The Log Cabin Years? Well, that book, I illustrated it. My background is in fine arts, meaning I went to Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, and I and I worked on that book 30 years ago and did 60 illustrations. And Back then, that was our first pretty much immobile adventure, my husband and I, because we know we were hiking long distance, but we said we'd want to stay home and build this house and make a work of art. And I knew this was going to be one of those life moments that spanned four years, so I wrote everything down and then took photographs and then drew. And the last chapter of that book uh, is about how we gave back through our house to our friends and family and our kids, whether they homeschooled here and used our whole property and the greater Blue Mountain and the river as their big backyard to hosting hikers on the Appalachian Trail to now we run a nonprofit called Riverhouse PA for veterans and we take them out hiking and have campfire dinners here at Olag Home. And Actually, my latest book, just three months after the log cabin years, is called Walking Towards Peace, Veterans Healing on America's Trails. And it kind of accumulated after 30 years of living here and using our home to share with people. And, and that's the book that Bryce did these magnificent portraits of these, of these veterans as they progressed on their journey on the, on the trail to heal from their war trauma. Bryce, what has the house meant? to you over the years in terms of an embodiment of the values of your family, 
also a place of refuge and also a place of beauty. What kinds of things, when you read the log cabin years, you say, aha, yes, yes, but from your own point of view? I would say that that's always changing, but a place of refuge and a place of inspiration would be the, the two biggest things. And obviously growing up as a toddler within that space, you felt comfortable within it, but you didn't recognize all the work and all the time that had been finessed into every detail of it. So that's been a cool transformation growing up. And still now in my late 20s, if I come back to visit, I might see something that has been there for decades. And I just never noticed like a lamp that my dad made or a, like a subtlety of a painting that my mom created on the wall. So it's more of a constant place to, to find new things and be refueled. And obviously, just it just feels so comfortable to be there. And Cindy, how did you pick the site? Well, it's not that far from the Appalachian Trail. Actually, we live at the, at the foot of it. And when I finished the trail 40 years ago, I wanted to live near it. And so I found a farm farmhouse apartment in it to rent. And I lived there. And actually, I used to pick up hikers in the nearby town of Fort Clinton and bring them home and feed them. And that's how I met my husband, Todd Glassoucher, all those years ago. And so while I was living there, Todd and I wanted to make our home at the same place at the foot of the mountain. And so we found some land and decided that we can see the ridge. We can go on the mount over to the river and inner tube anytime we want to. So it was real important for us to be near. I mean, we have 12 acres, but the whole Blue Mountain Range and the river, Hawk Mountain Sanctuary, all feels like part of our backyard. So I always wanted to be living near public public open lands as an extension of our own property that we could use. And the trail was so important to us. When we first got married, we lived on the other side of it in a little tiny village called Eckville, and we ran a hostel for the thru-hikers under the volunteers in the National Park Program, and, and that's how we found this piece of land we have now. But it, it was really the trail, because that's really what opened our, our hearts and our eyes to this whole, it, we have pretty much of a self-sustaining natural simple, voluntary, simplicity lifestyle, growing our own organic food. And we, we envisioned that way back when we hiked on the Appalachian Trail. So that's really what gifted us this, this whole way of living that we then shared with our children. The sense we get is that the building of the house is just part of the experience, not separate, but part of the experience of forming your relationship with Todd and coming to know each other in ways that you might not have had you not engaged in such a daunting project. Absolutely, because we learned a lot about each other being out on the trail for, you know, long distance trail, never being able to, to separate for months at a time when you're hiking. And that teaches you a lot about another person. But Working together on a dream where it's physically and mentally extremely challenging. You know, yes, we learned had to learn how to communicate and and hold the other person up when they they were being more challenged than we were. We had to take turns and help each other, and and that really laid the foundation for our our marriage and our family life. We've been married 38 years now, and really like each other a lot. Besides loving each other, that's a big deal. <laughs> You actually found the logs, and you had to cure them, and you had to cut them and decide how to make it. You did it from the ground up, literally. What does it mean, did it mean, 
to choose a tree. Is there some sense that you have about spirit of trees? Well, yeah. My husband started out his occupation as a fine furniture maker, and you know, he always said that he didn't want to live in a home that you get this magnificent tree and then you cut it up into two by fours. You know, we wanted, we wanted to be able to have a sense of the tree. And since we went to log building school in Minnesota and we got our, our trees right here in Schuylkill County from a logger and, and hand peeled them, uh, it, it's not like a milled timber house that you would get in a log kit. I mean, you can see all the knots and run your hand over the logs and they look like trees. And so that, I mean, we live in the forest, but, you know, the house, uh, when people walk in, sometimes they've never been here and they're just completely awe-inspired. And it's the kind of thing where this is our home and we live here all the time, just like Bryce felt until he went away or he brought his own friends from college or whatever to see where we live. You you just accept it as a, a part of your life when you don't realize what a gift it is. You spend a lot of time in and around your home, and to have it be this unbelievably beautiful, nurturing place really adds a lot to all our lives. And you forget because it's just it's just where you live, but it is big. <laughs> you know, the trees really makes us feel connected to the natural world living in a house like this. Bryce mentioned the word refuge, that the house sometimes feels like that. And you've talked about how all your life, Cindy, it seems that you have been hospitable to the nth degree and welcoming in the sense to anybody who is in need or you want to engage with them. And you have done that with many kinds of people, as we've heard you say. But also now tell us a little bit more about the Veterans Project and how it became something that you do and that you would actually write about? About seven years ago, uh, I've always been a, a travel writer my whole life and a lifestyle magazine writer. And I had heard that this group of veterans were hiking the Appalachian Trail, the entire trail, to walk off their war. And I wanted to write a story, at least one story about them. And we used to, when we ran a hostel, we hosted hundreds of season. And so we we live five miles from the trail now. And so we only pick up people that our friends ask us to go get. So we, we hosted these veterans and we loved them right away and did what's called slack packing. We drove them ahead for 15 miles and they hiked without their, their backpacks at just day hiking. And then we brought them back to the house every night. So we did that four nights in a row and had dinner, went swimming in the river and just fell in love with them. I went up to Maine to finish the trail with them. And that's when I decided that I wanted to work with veterans, start a nonprofit. And then the next year, I was invited to go to a memorial hike for a, a veteran, uh, a special forces army ranger who hiked the whole trail and then, and then committed suicide because uh, transitioning back into life, whether you're coming back from war or coming back from a long hike is really difficult. And so I was invited to go on this hike and to be the photographer. And then I thought, I need to tell their story and, and show how much being in nature heals. And so I spent four or five years working on this book. And there's 25 stories of veterans who, who have hiked long and short distance because not everybody can hike a long trail for months. But even going out every day for an hour or two, Walk in, in, the, in the woods just does tremendous things for us. 
And so I wanted the portraits in, in the book. And so Bryce and I had this wonderful working relationship where once I wrote each veteran's story, because each, each chapter is a different veteran's story, I would send it to Bryce and he would read it. And then he would go through photographs from their Facebook page or pictures that they shared and try to make this beautiful drawing collage of not just their face, but other memories either from the war or from the trail or their lives like all around their heads. And they're just magnificent pieces of work. And and he would call me after he would read every chapter and go, wow, mom, every story was different. Every experience was different. And everyone was so raw and deeply moving, but very inspiring and hopeful. And and so we talked about all our veterans as, as he worked on them and, and, you know, we would work together. And then towards the end, it was so cool because my background is fine arts painting. And then we would work on the eyes together because, you know, the eyes are the mirrors to your soul. And so we wanted to make sure that these eyes were penetrating when, when our readers looked at the portraits. And, and so they're just fabulous. Well, Bryce, you have to tell us what that experience was like. We know that you're used to doing things that are maybe not as potentially wrenching as that is. But how about getting inside and trying to bring life to the images of these veterans? It was a it was a very moving experience and one that I felt the responsibility of as I was working on it, the same way my mom felt the responsibility of sharing their stories honestly and accurately. And it was definitely a departure from what I've done before, where I'm used to illustrating abstract for myself, or I'm used to illustrating for brands, where I'm just capturing the essence of a company. But this was the first time that I drew portraits of people and had to capture who they were and the experiences they went through. And that was a a challenge that required me to dive into them almost like an actor would and read about their experiences and try to put my mind in their mindset, even though what they went through was unimaginable. So basically, I did my best and used the mediums that I thought would capture it most. So kind of moody watercolor washes, collage illustration, and then um, portraiture that my mom helped me with because that's, that's what she was very talented in. So it was a it was a moving experience, and um, it was it was difficult at times. But looking back on it, I'm so grateful and privileged to have recounted their stories in that way. Tell us more about the eyes that Mom was just talking about. Right, right. That's I knew that that was a key to bringing out that spark or that light in someone's eye, whether that's like a, a spark of intensity or sadness or um, just having seen something. It's, it's amazing how much emotion can be shown just through like the glint of an eye. And a lot of times when I finished the portraits or thought I had finished, the eyes were a little bit muddy or kind of blended into the rest of the face. And my mom would help me and like bring out, even with just an eraser, like a hint of light. And somehow that was able to convey so much emotion and added layers and layers of depth that I didn't know was possible with one, one motion. So... Um, I'm obviously still learning how to convey that, but I appreciated my teacher on this one. (laughs) And do you look differently now, having done that 25 times when you were with people now? Has it even had an impact on your regular association with people? Now in COVID, you haven't been looking at too many faces. Right. Yeah, I've been a, a little bit in isolation, but I think it helps me recognize 
life that someone has gone through and the weight of life and the weight of trauma, because everyone has gone through trauma in their own way, whether it was war or just through experiences in life or uh, history with family. Regardless, everyone has that, and I think you can see it in their eyes. You know, regardless if they're a happy, uplifted person, if you look closely, you can see everything they went through and the pain that has made them a more well-rounded person. So I think if anything, I can notice that and it's more of a connection and like a synapse that fires in your brain when you see it and can recognize it. And Cindy, when you were writing these profiles of the veterans, is there something specific that you could point to? We can understand that nature is so healing, but is there something specific from any of those stories about what might have happened that was a breakthrough moment? Well, I think, well, first of all, walking, Erica, and the motion of it helps them with thoughts because they ruminate and they go over and over things that might have happened and why did that happen? Did I do the right thing? Why did I not die and that person die? And so the, the walking and the hiking itself helps them work things out. And whether you're a through hiker and and a veteran or not, walking, the longer you do, it helps you accept, come to peace, come to terms with things, who you are in life, and, and, and just either forgive yourself or just accept things and accept yourself. And so time and the longer you're out there doing it, more and more positive things happen. And so it's not really an aha moment out there. It's just time and walk and over and over again and the peace of of nature and the forest just bathing you like this bomb on your spirit and your soul. So it's a cumulative kind of thing, but you can feel it within 10 minutes of being in that environment, no matter who you are, your brain waves actually change. The book is full of fascinating research that I've done. I mean, I always knew for my whole entire life how being out there makes me feel so happy and so good. And that's why we started our nonprofit. My husband and I don't know that much about the military world or, of course, war, although I've read a million books about it now. But we do know how being in nature makes us feel. And we thought, well, here's a group that could really use a leg up, so let's take them out there. And tell us about connecting online. Well, my website is cindyrosstraveler.com, and I have descriptions of all the books. There's pictures of Bryce's illustrations and my illustrations, and my email is there, cindyrosstraveler@gmail.com. so you can always write to me if you ever wanted an autographed book. But the uh, website for our organization is just riverhousepa at wordpress.com, and that's where I post stories and blogs about different events that we have, and if you want to join in or support us or right now I'm telling people the best the best way to support the organization and the vets is to is to get this book and give it to a vet that needs it, whether it's the guy down the street or someone's son or whatever. I mean, we wrote the book and Bryce illustrated it because we believe that it can save lives and we think it already did it. So that I had five guys calling me Christmas Eve saying they wanted they were done. Uh, they couldn't handle the pain anymore. And since the book came out, they are better already and have this renewed confidence that I can go out there in nature and I can get better and, and I have a reason to live and I can find joy and peace in my life and I don't have to end it. So it's already had this big impact. 
And Bryce, mom was saying that she was hoping that you and your sister would grow up either to make the world a better place or to do something beautiful in the world. And it sounds like this brings both of those together. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with you. It's definitely, it's an honor to look back and see the faces. And I want as many people as possible to know about this because I do agree that it does have the power and will impact and save lives. Um, And how we're talking about connecting through vision. Even the idea that someone struggling could look at one of these portraits and feel what they went through within the eyes that I just drew with, you know, pencil and watercolor, and then look further and read their story and feel like it's okay to feel this way. That's, that's more than I could ever hope for as an artist. So very privileged to be part of it. Bryce Gladfelter, son of Cindy Ross and Todd Gladfelter, illustrator and designer. Cindy Ross, she is the mother, as we suggest, of Bryce. She is a writer, she is an educator, she has written about travel and adventure. She is someone who values and explores the art of life. She's written for the Los Angeles Times, the Toronto Star, Backpacker Magazine. She's the author of six published books, including the award-winning The World is Our Classroom. And she lives in New Ringgold in Schuylkill County. We spoke with them about two recent books. One of them is The Log Cabin Years, How One Couple Built a Home from Scratch and Created a Life. And that was written and illustrated by Cindy Ross, issued by Skyhorse Publishing. And then Walking Toward Peace, Veterans Healing on America's Trails by Cindy, illustrated by Bryce. And that was just released April 1st by Mountaineers Books. For information about any and all of this, cindyrosstraveler.com, cindyrosstraveler.com, or riverhousepa.wordpress.com, riverhousepa.wordpress.com. And to explore the work of Bryce Gladfelter, bryceglaadfelter.com, G-L-A-D. F-E-L-T-E-R dot com. The Log Cabin Years, How One Couple Built a Home from Scratch and Created a Life. That's written by Cindy Ross, illustrated by her and issued by Skyhorse Publishing. Walking Toward Peace, Veterans Healing on America's Trails by Cindy Ross, illustrated by Bryce Gladfelter and released by Mountaineers Books. For more information, cindyrosstraveler.com. Thank you.